Welcome to the Biker's Podcast, where we explore the latest advancements in health, biohacking and general human optimization. I'm Teemu Arena from Biker's Center, and today we talk about the wondrous and mysterious world of peptides. Peptides can be found in a variety of sources, including food, plants, animals and microorganisms. Some peptides have been identified as potential therapeutic agents for a range of health conditions. Peptides can have a range of biological functions, including the regulation of hormones, influencing the neurotransmitters, and modulating the immune system. They can also have antioxidant, anti-inflammatory, and antimicrobial properties. Peptides can also be used therapeutically to treat various conditions such as diabetes, cancer, and cardiovascular disease. Additionally, peptides have potential applications in biotechnology, such as in drug development or gene therapies. Shortly speaking, peptides are short-chain amino acids. Peptides are, for example, formed when proteins in the food are broken down by enzymes in the digestive system. These peptides are further broken down into amino acids, which are used by the body for various functions, including the synthesis of new proteins. The specific peptides produced during digestion depend on the type of protein being consumed and the enzymes present in the digestive system at the time. As an example, many of the functional mushrooms that people like you and me take include polysaccharide peptides. These peptides from mushrooms like turkey tail, lion's mane, and cordyceps have been shown to have properties for immune system modulation, anti-inflammation, anti-cancer activity, and cholesterol-lowering effects. It all depends on the type of the peptide in question. In another popular example, Uh, you have collagen peptides that are derived from collagen, a protein found in animal connective tissues such as bones, skin, and cartilage. Collagen peptides have been shown to have benefits for skin health, joint health, and muscle mass. Peptides are interesting for longevity and performance because they can interact with specific receptors in the body, promoting various physiological effects such as tissue regeneration. Some peptides such as PPC157 have been shown to promote tissue repair leading to faster healing times. PPC157 is a synthetic peptide derived from the naturally occurring protein in the human stomach called body protein compound, or short for PPC. That's where the PPC157 comes from. Other peptides, such as growth hormone-releasing peptides, GHRPs, have been shown to stimulate the production of growth hormones, which can have a variety of performance-enhancing effects, including increases in muscle mass and reduction in body fat. Additionally, peptides can be designed and synthesized to specifically target certain receptors or pathways, allowing them to be more precise and tailored in their effects. Overall, peptides have the potential to improve various aspects of human performance and health, making them an interesting area of research and development. Just to give you some examples for biological processes that can be targeted with peptides. Number one, peptides can bind to receptors on the surface of cells, influencing cellular responses. Number two, peptides can inhibit or activate enzymatic activity, leading to changes in metabolic pathways. Number three, peptides can interact with transporters, affecting the uptake or release of molecules into the cells. Number four, peptides can modulate the activity of ion channels, altering the flow of ions across cell membranes. Number five, peptides can disrupt or enhance protein interactions, leading to changes in cellular signaling pathways. Number six, peptides can interact with cell membranes, altering their permeability. Number seven, peptides can interact with components of the extracellular matrix, affecting tissue structure and function. 
Number eight, peptides can target and kill bacteria, viruses, and other microorganisms. Number nine, peptides can be designed to target specific tumor markers or receptors, leading to selective destruction of certain tumor cells. Number 10, peptides can modulate the activity of cytokines and other immune system molecules, affecting the inflammatory response. Some peptides have uh, been found to improve cognitive performance. As an example, cerebrolucin is a peptide mixture derived from pig brains that has been shown to improve memory and cognition. Out of all countries, Russia has been quite a lot on the forefront of developing cognitive performance enhancing peptides. For example, Semax is a synthetic peptide developed in Russian Academy of Sciences that has been shown to improve cognitive function, memory and learning. Selank, on the other hand, from the same institute, is a synthetic peptide that has been shown to improve cognitive function, reduce anxiety and improve mood. Another peptide that is quite interesting from Russia is called Nupept. It is very popular in some of these nootropic blends, especially on the US side. It was uh, recently developed in the 90s as a depeptide. It's a derivative of the popular nootropic substance called pyrostam, which was originally developed in the 1970s and has probably one of the greatest safety profiles of all of these uh, so-called classical nootropics. Nupept contains a peptide bond that joins two amino acids, proline and glycine, to the pyrostam molecule. This modification changes the pharmacological properties of this neuropeptide, making it more potent cognitive enhancer, and it is also considerably more bioavailable than pyrostom. In any case, today we have a presentation from Dr. Daniel Stickler from US on peptides. Dr. Stickler is a renowned expert on the field of functional regenerative medicine and the co-founder of the Apeiron Center for Human Potential. In his presentation at the Parker Summit 2019 in Helsinki, Dr. Stickler discusses the potential of biologics and peptides for targeted effects, highlighting their benefits over certain medications. So sit back and relax and get ready to learn from one of the leading experts in the field of biohacking and human optimization. Without further ado, let's listen to Dr. Daniel Stickler. So today I'm here to talk to you about some neuropeptides, but I also wanted to talk a little bit about wearable technology. When we developed our company, which is called Apiron, we wanted to look at something that could identify the human system as a limitless potential. And that's what Apiron means. Apiron is Greek for limitless. And this is what we look at in human beings. We look at each human being as an N of one. So we biohack essentially every individual that comes to us, whether it's through our medical program or through our coaching program. So biologics are a new form of medicine. They've been around for a while, but they're coming on really strong right now. And when we talk about biologics, we're talking about stem cells, we're talking about the peptides, and we're talking about exosomes. Now, I'm not gonna spend any time on the stem cells today. Stem cells are kind of in that vague area of we're looking at the possibilities with them. Peptides, on the other hand, are already being used in clinical trials that are showing very positive outcomes very good safety features when it comes to humans. And exosomes are also fairly new, but they're very exciting in what they do. And the exosomes are pretty impressive with the effects that we're seeing in human systems. So I'm excited to see what happens with that. But think about this, when we talk about biologics, biologics are substances that the body is familiar with. It means that they are proteins, essentially, strings of amino acids that the body understands. And the body responds to biologics instead of reacting to them. Now, 
What I mean by that is they're very on target. So when we give a biologic, they tend to go in and they tend to do exactly what we expect them to do without much off-target effects. With medications and even with nutraceuticals, we see a lot of off-target effects. So the body is reacting to them rather than responding to them. That's the big difference that we see with these. And this is why I'm so excited about the biologics and what we're seeing in my medical practice with them. So this is a bold statement, but it is something that I believe is actually happening. I think we're going to see these peptides. They're coming on so strong right now that they are going to really overtake the pharmaceutical industry pretty quickly on this too. The rate at which they're coming on, they're not available really from the medical standpoint in Europe in general. But in the United States and in Australia, we have over 70 peptides available for us to use in the medical world. So let's talk about what a peptide actually is. It's basically just a string of amino acids. It's a protein. And the only difference between a protein and a peptide is the number of amino acids, and it's purely nomenclature. But what we're talking about is these strings of amino acids. They'll call them polypeptides or proteins or peptides. But it's all just nomenclature. It's all just a string of amino acids. Now, the body makes tons of peptides, proteins, peptides, whatever you want to call them. And there's even just in the hormonal peptides, the body makes over 50 of these. And we can sequence these in the labs. They're very easy to sequence in general, especially when you get to the shorter versions of them. So this is an insulin peptide, or insulin protein, insulin polypeptide, whatever you want to call it but it's two strings of amino acids. And you can see how a peptide is actually sequenced is they just string together the amino acids. And as long as you know that sequence, you can create these in the lab. And that's why peptides are inexpensive to manufacture. You just need a peptide sequencer. You need to measure and make sure it's doing exactly what you think it's doing and you move forward with it. But in general, proteins and peptides are what we call pleiotropic, which means they're like a this is the growth hormone peptide, and each tissue in the body has a different response to that based on a lock and key mechanism of receptors. So we have these little yellow spots, which would be different areas on there that are different keys for different tissues. So this one key up here may be the key for fat cells. The other one may be muscle. The other one may be liver. But it's just like the protein is a string of keys. And what we do when we take a peptide is we just take a piece of this protein and we say, we just want this segment with this one key on it. And now we're going to inject that. That's what I'm talking about when I say that we are getting to the point where it is very on target. It's very specific for what we're trying to achieve. You can take pieces of growth hormone and target just cartilage and just say, we want to rejuvenate cartilage without any other effect in the human body. It's pretty amazing how accurate these peptides are. Now today, what I wanted to talk about are the neurologic peptides. These are the ones that we're using in clinical practice right now to really, my practice is more performance model. So what I'm looking at is how do we increase cognitive performance? How do we really substantiate longevity and that using these peptides? So. A lot of what I'm going to talk about today is more performance medicine, but I'm also going to tell you about some of the areas where these are being used in disease medicine as well. One of the most popular ones that we have is cerebrolysin. And cerebrolysin is a very interesting mix of peptides that are derived from the pig brain. This is a mix of BNF, GDNF, 
CNTF and NGF. So I know it's a lot of acronyms there. But essentially, cerebrolysin is not only a treatment type of peptide, but it's a performance enhancer. And we're seeing outrageous results with this stuff. It's neuroprotective, promotes cell growth. It improves connections, enhances learning, increases energy and metabolism, decreases beta amyloid. And this is one of the things that we're seeing with its use in Alzheimer's. And it decreases neuroinflammation. So there's a lot of human trials right now on this stuff. And we found that it improves the memory and learning. It aids in stroke recovery. They're using it in TBI and some clinical trials. They're also looking at clinical trials in Parkinson's disease and Alzheimer's disease, anti-anxiety. Now, the interesting thing is they use this to treat ADHD kids. And they found in these 9 to 12-year-olds that 80% of the respondents actually got better with this. And this is typically... A four-week injection, so you're doing a subcutaneous injection five days a week for eight weeks. It's 40 injections is the course for this. Now, what we're using it for, we map everybody's brain in the practice. I'm not a neurologic practice, but part of the human performance is that we get brain maps on everybody. We look at their cognitive function. We look at how they perform in different areas. And we use a lot of neurofeedback, neurostimulation, both AC, DC, and transcranial magnetic stim. But this is what is so fascinating. We have been putting people on cerebrolysin and then doing the neurostimulation with these clients. And we do typically twice a day for about 30 minutes for five straight days. So we do 10 sessions. And we're seeing responses at such an accelerated rate that used to take us 40 to 50 neurofeedback sessions to achieve the outcomes that we see. But we've also got all these protocols that are very specific for what we're trying to achieve for better focus, learning and memory, to increase beta, to, to increase alpha states. So we're able to actually accelerate this whole process using these peptides. And it's not just cerebrolysin. We've got other neuropeptides that I'm going to talk about that we're getting very similar results with right now. But cerebrolysin has been our go-to. It's a really amazing one to work with. One you may have heard of is Cellink. Cellink is interesting. It's a nasal spray. It's a very small amino acid. I think it's seven amino acids, but it is one of the most potent anti-anxiety. They've actually used it in clinical trials with generalized anxiety disorder and found outstanding results with this. Now, the one thing that people have to be aware of is that only 40% of the people who start taking this are going to respond quickly. So what will happen is somebody will get this and they'll do a day or two of the nasal spray and they'll say it didn't have any effect at all. They may be the slow responders and they're going to have to be on this for a week or so before it really kicks in. But when it kicks in, it's really potent. It works really well. Antidepressant, antiviral, improves memory and focus, improved blood flow to the brain. It's similar to a protein that the brain makes called Tufsin and it has an effect on metabolism of serotonin. Dihexa is another one that we use. This was developed out of the University of Washington. And dihexa is a very short peptide as well. I think it's six amino acids long. It can be applied in a topical cream, and that's the way we typically use it. But dihexa is amazing for learning and memory, the acceleration of learning and memory with this. They're doing it in clinical trials with Alzheimer's disease, dementia, stroke, and TBI. They're looking at spinal cord injuries and MS with its potential for remyelination of the nervous system. Hearing us, they've been seeing effects with that and with macular degeneration. Dihexa is really good for working with somebody who's learning something new. If you're learning to play the guitar or you're learning a new language, 
doing the dihexa with this or doing neurostimulation, getting that moving forward. Dihexa is really good with creating that kind of a response. FGL, this is a fairly new one. It's an NCAM molecule, so it's a whole new spectrum of what they're using. FGL is being used in clinical trials in Denmark right now. It's in phase two clinical trials in a nasal spray. And this is mostly being used right now for stroke recovery and post-traumatic brain injury. But it's found to substantially reduce neuroinflammation, mobilize neural stem cells, which is interesting. It enhances regeneration and amplifying remyelination. Now, I know some people that have been using this in the United States in MS patients, and they're reporting and again, this is anecdotal. These are not studies, but they're reporting significant improvements in the MS patients with the remyelination capacity of the FGL. It has been through phase one clinical trials found to be very safe in humans. It comes in a nasal spray as well as a subcutaneous injection, but it's kind of expensive. So the volume that you have to use in a nasal spray is pretty substantial. We're talking 200 milligrams here, but you're closer to 400 to 600 milligrams in the clinical trials right now. But the subcutaneous injection can be a lot less expensive in that regard. Now, throw in RG3 here. RG3 is not really a peptide. RG3 is a genocide derivative, but it's such a potent brain molecule that I wanted to add this in here. RG3 is a nasal spray, and it really affects PGC1A activation. And so what it essentially does is it mimics exercise. You do this nasal spray and you can see what happens with PPAR-GC1A activity relative to exercise. You almost get the same response of PPAR-GC1A. Relative protein levels of NRF2, NQO1 catalase, and MNSOD. These are all kind of the body's ability to manage free radicals. So upregulation of all of these is really a beneficial aspect. And you can see with the RG3, you're actually getting greater activation of some of these than you get with exercise. Now, we've always known the benefits of exercise on the brain, but this is pretty impressive. Now, we also saw here with NRF1 and TFAM, which are really more longevity markers. So AMPK is a longevity activator. mTOR you want suppressed. So all of these things are showing improvements in longevity. So this is part of our longevity protocol is putting people on the RG3. And it's simple to use. It's inexpensive. It's a nasal spray. Melana Tan 2, it's mostly used for people who want to get a tan. You can get a tan, a full summer tan in about three days with about 40 minutes of sun exposure a day. And it'll last for four months. It's wonderful. It activates melanocytes. But there is a huge neurologic component to MT2 as well. MT2 stimulates alpha-MSH in the brain, and alpha-MSH has been implicated in a lot of aspects of the symptoms of chronic Lyme disease, of chronic mold exposure, and all that. So in the U.S., a lot of us in the functional realms are using this to help people get over that chronic inflammatory response syndrome that occurs. It really activates the melanocortin-4 receptors, melanocortin-3, it decreases nitric oxide, TNF-alpha and interleukin-6 increases IL-10, which is anti-inflammatory, and it may increase the nerve growth factor in the cholinergic pathway. The other ones that we use in the brain, thymus and alpha-1, thymus and beta-4, thymolin, BPC-157, and C-max. I could go all day on some of these. The ones that I mentioned are the primary ones that we're using. We still use a lot of thymus and alpha-1, thymus and beta-4 and BPC. We 
mostly used for soft tissue recovery and repair, but great nootropics, especially post-traumatic brain injury. All right, so I guess the, the next aspect of this presentation, which was supposed to be the first, but data-driven health. So rule is, if you can measure it, you can manage it. And this is where we are right now in health. We do this in our medical centers. We do this with our coaches. We train people how to use wearable data. Most of you are probably familiar with Dexcom. Dexcom gives us access to watch a person's blood sugars. Now, in my medical practice, what I do is I actually creep on my patients. I look at their data every week. I look at their stress. I look at their sleep. I look at their activity levels. I look at their resting heart rates. I look at their glucose if they're measuring with a Dexcom. So all of this stuff is giving me instant feedback on what we're doing with each client. And everything we do, we measure it and we manage it. I don't put anybody on anything without knowing what I'm measuring. I've got to have a measurement for that. I am not okay with saying, let's try this and see how you feel. I want to know how you feel, but I also want to know what the data is telling me. We saw this with Fitbit. Fitbit had 150 billion hours with 10 million users. And they found that with weekly activity minutes, resting heart rate came down pretty dramatically in people. And that is very impressive to see this data. This is new data that's out. Resting heart rate with sleep. Now this was interesting because we've always heard seven and a half to eight hours of sleep is ideal. But if you look at seven and a half to eight hours, you're on the upslope of the heart rate curve. So ideally it looks like six and a half to seven and a half with seven being the sweet spot. Kind of surprised me when I saw this, but seeing that resting heart rate made me want to look more into what we were seeing with that. Now in our medical practice, we recommend the Aura Ring, the Biostrap, or the Garmin Phoenix watch. Now that's what I'm wearing. I put most of my clients on the Garmin Phoenix. This is the Phoenix Mark Athlete, but the Phoenix is what we use currently. And this uses a lot of the algorithms from First Beat technology. First Beat out of Finland. I'm gonna give a kudos to Finland because I think First Beat technology is probably the top biometric measurement and algorithm company out there right now. The other ones that can be used, the Fitbit, the Apple Watch, Garmin, Aura Ring, Biostrap, Hilo, Whoop. Most of the ones that don't have an API, I don't recommend because right now we're building platforms. We're seeing platforms that have APIs that will draw this data off. And the reason you want to have this stuff is that the human system is adaptable. So we have a familiar zone that we function in. And in order to grow, we need to get uncomfortable. And what that means is we need to get out of that zone of familiarity. This is stress. This is good stress. It's when we exercise, we get into a zone that's unfamiliar to us. The body has to adapt, and this is epigenetics. This is where gene expression actually changes to adapt because our genetics, our DNA is the most fascinating stuff. What it does is it's constantly assessing environment and our function in that environment, and it's saying, are we ideally set to live in this environment? And when you give it an unfamiliar environment, it has to change. It's like when you lose 20 pounds from doing diet and exercise going from being sedentary. So in three months, you lose 20 pounds. Three months later, you're doing the same thing and you haven't lost any weight. What's happened? What happened is that familiar zone moved. After you give enough stress time in getting out of the familiar zone, the body adapts. The gene expression changes. The familiar zone moves up. And suddenly you have to be doing more. Now, this is what I loved about the Garmin watch is it has this thing called training load in it. So it actually pushes me because it changes my familiar zone. 
this zone kept going up. I was training for a Spartan race and the familiar zone kept changing on me. So I had to work harder every week or so to get into a zone of growth. But it gave me that kind of feedback, which I loved. Stress is an easy score to look at, but it's essentially HRV. Down below was me having a glass of alcohol. The stress level changed from one glass of wine. After I saw this data, I started paying attention to it and it happened every time I'd have a glass of wine. So what I did is I changed my ways. My stress level was really up around 45, March through June of 2017, I think it was. And then all of a sudden it plummeted. So what happened in June that carried through October for me, one of the things I found is I went on growth hormone releasing hormone. And that was the thing that had the most substantial effect on my stress levels. So there's ways to actually measure when we're doing these different peptides and things like that. This is what's really cool about wearable technology. So we have the ability to measure these things. Sleep, generally I sleep fairly well. I sleep on average about seven and a half hours a night. Here's a, a new metric that Garmin just added. Again, a first beat technology algorithm, which they call the body battery. I absolutely love this. What happens across a week or so with the body battery recharges at night and then these things that impact it. And you can start looking at things like, and like they say here, a glass of drinking alcohol, metabolizing alcohol, taking a nap. So you can start to actually get feedback from your system on what's happening. All right, so this is the end of the wearable technology piece and thank you for your time. Thank you, Dr. Daniel Stickler, for such an advanced presentation on peptide-based biohacking. Although it all sounds rosy and great and awesome to use peptides for a wide variety of reasons, as a side of caution, it is important to note that some peptides may have concerning side effects, especially if used improperly and in excessive dosages without medical supervision. For example, growth hormone-releasing peptides, GHRPs, may increase the risk of certain cancers such as breast and colon cancer and may also increase the risk of diabetes and cardiovascular disease. Additionally, some other peptides used for athletic performance such as IGF-1 or beta-alanine may actually increase the risk of tendon and ligament injuries as well as muscle cramps and spasms if dosed improperly. Although some influencers may convince you otherwise, peptides can have serious side effects. For example, a commenter on our YouTube channel reported on adverse nervous system-related reactions to the aforementioned seropolusin. Her onset of neuropathy that was linked to it is certainly counter to the fact that seropolusin is supposed to help regenerate the nervous system. The use of some peptide hormones, including those with anabolic or strength-enhancing actions, are on the VADA anti-doping list. BPC-157, for example, is such a prohibited peptide that was added on the list in 2022. There is currently no legal basis for selling BPC-157 as a supplement, so if you go searching for it, keep that in mind. It is important to note that the use of peptides for non-medical purposes, such as for performance enhancement, cognitive enhancement, or aesthetic purposes, is illegal in many countries outside of medical supervision, so you may want to take a look at the laws in your own country. Thank you for your attention. To learn more about biohacking and get some products like the functional mushrooms, check out bikercenter.com where you can find best content, supplements, technologies, courses, retreats, and events, including the World's Top Human Optimization Conference, the Biker Summit. So that's all, guys. 
digest your peptides properly and see you next time.